you know, one of the things I always do now is I will always spend two or three minutes going through someone's LinkedIn profile. I'm just looking for these little Easter eggs, these little nuggets of gold that you're not expecting, right? Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that oftentimes I won't use it, but when I do, when there's dead air or when there's mm-hmm. a mutual connection that you don't think is a mutual connection, I'll never forget, uh, I took on a client and they were in, uh, in the financial space and we were waiting for a demo to start and there was eight people on their side and six on ours. So you had uh-huh. 14 people in the room and there was six minutes of dead air. And, you know, as a radio guy, to me, that's, there's no bigger <laughs> sin, but it was just an opportunity missed to just have a dialogue going, setting the tone, setting the energy, being positive, you know, oh, hey, you know, Jane, look, it looks like it's raining where, where you're at, you know, where, where are you? Oh, you're in Florida? Oh man, let me tell you, Florida, three times a day it rains. Holy cow, how do you put up with that? Just, it seems small, but it's that, you know, people buy from people they like. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Nick Capozzi. Nick is the head of storytelling at Demostack. And in this conversation from the archives of the Sales Enablement Podcast, Nick and I start off with him talking about his experience of spending 10 years living on a cruise ship working in a sales position. <laughs> a very interesting story. Then we move on to talk about the main topic of the day, how to get better at presenting yourself on video, in a video message. You know, it starts with developing a comfortable on-camera persona. Nick shares tips on doing just that. And then we get to some real practical takeaways about how to eliminate crutch words and negative words in your video messages. Oh, and you want to hear Nick's tips on how to build rapport via video in just three words. So we get into all of this and much more. But before we get to Nick, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us feedback about how we're doing by leaving us a review. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's jump into it. All right, Nick, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Andy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So what's it say over your shoulder there? Well, I'm actually in a co-working space. Oh, you are? Uh, yeah, right now I am. I'm not in my studio. I'm usually at my, my either my studio at home or um, in this co-working space because at Smile Virtual, we're about to move into a new building. So today's actually moving day. It's pretty exciting. So you here. guys are back in the office. Oh, we've been... This is Arizona, sir. We've been back in the office since forever. <laughs> since March of 2020. <laughs> it, feel, it feels that way. No, we've definitely been, um, well, I've been here for six weeks now with Smile Virtual, and we've been in the office the whole time. So, oh, You've only been at the company six weeks? Yes, sir. So what do you do? I'm Smile Virtual. I'm the VP of sales here, and what we do is we, um, we do virtual consultations. So we have an, a, a platform. And we help dentists set up virtual consultations. So there's a lot of, you know, it's funny because I talk to dentists all day about sales cycle. Yeah. Which is really interesting. interesting. Yeah. It is. And, um, you know, real quick, when you're coming in for cosmetic, they have about a 30% close rate. Um, and that's because most of them are qualified. So our product allows the dentist in a couple minutes to help qualify the patient, especially on these, you know, cosmetic procedures, which can be 8000 to $80,000. And not covered uh, and by insurance. Exactly. And so the close rate goes from about 30% to about 90%. So it's a, an incredibly effective tool. So what's the thing that's making the difference? The difference is, um, well, there's twofold. From the patient point of view, it's really easy because we're installing a widget on the dentist's website. So typically, we're going to see about a 5% action rate in the dental industry. So if someone goes to 
AndyPaulDentistry.com, 5% chance they'll pick up the phone and call. With the widget, they actually click through on that 17% of the time. And basically what it does, we allow them to upload their smile, and the doctor doesn't diagnose but just has a quick look and gives an idea of what's possible and a ballpark of price. And that's been um, a very effective way to, to get the patients involved. And fr- from the doctor point of view, you know, the, the 7 out of 10 who didn't buy spent an hour in the doctor's chair, took up time from the rest of the team. And, um, you know, you just, you just don't have that waste anymore. The doctor's now doing it in a two-minute video after looking at the photograph. So it's, so, it's a so huge the, the efficiency doc, So the dentist, just make sure. So somebody takes a picture of their smile. Here I am, my smile, big yellow teeth. And they shoot it off to the dentist. The dentist, I presume at the end of the day, or they do it in real time. If they have time between calls, they'll look at this. They'll record a quick video they send back to them. Yep. And yep. say, hey, this is what I think it's going to be. This is, yeah, not a diagnosis, but this is just looking at you. Maybe roughly this price. Hey, let's set up a time to have you come in and talk about it. That's you, you nailed it. And it seems so simple, but it's, um, you know, coming into this business, having been in, in, you know, a lot of other industries kind of caught me off guard. This is a really, um, there's a lot of opportunity here. It's, it's kind of 20, 25 years behind most businesses. So there's a lot of time for, or a lot of opportunity for, for just change, you know, and new ideas. And I think a lot of these young doctors coming in are replacing this old guard that's kind of on the verge of retirement and they're more open to technology and what's possible. Hmm. Not my dentist. He's 65 and he's at the cutting edge. Um, yeah, he's he's great. You know, he's had a 3D printer in his office for crowns for oh, wow. at least a decade, right? And yeah, and so I'd had a crown done here. I'm in San Diego. And then I was living mostly in New York the last 10 years. I had a crown done there. Here, one visit. There, three visits. Interesting. And, and that's it. And you, and you nailed it. And there's just a lot of, uh, you know, I think sometimes in technology, uh, or at least that's, a, that's where I spend a lot of my time in tech space, we, we just talk about it so much. We kind of get snowblind to so many industries just aren't caught up on tech and what the latest tools and, and options and opportunities are. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, you, so you talked about you've been in the cruise industry. So before we get to the meat of the matter, we have to sort of talk about this, or this may become the meat of the matter. So... You said you lived on a cruise ship for a decade? I did. So, <laughs> okay. First of all, first thought, just it does not sound like that it sounds not like fun at all. But anyway. <laughs> so was it tell us about it. Was it all one cruise line or multiple cruise lines, different ships? I gotta hear about this. Yeah, you betcha. So I was uh, I grew up in Canada and I wanted from a kid to work in radio. And so I went to school for radio. I was working in Toronto in radio and TV. And then one day at a party, someone said, Can you do that on a stage? Next thing I knew, I stepped onto a cruise ship in Miami. And what we did was we were pitching or presenting all the duty free. And you think duty free, and it's definitely, you know, liquor and tobacco, but it's really Swiss watches and jewelry. And um, so I spent ten years. Wait, so you were Onboard salesperson working. Were you working for like DFS or one of those big duty free? So we were we were a third party marketing company that promoted all the different duty free. But you, you're definitely on the right track there. Okay. Um, so I would get up in front of 500 people and I'd pitch 60 products in 60 minutes. Everything from Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee to you know fifty thousand dollar diamond rings. <laughs> I never realized they did this on cruise ships. 
thought it was all about the gambling, right? That's where they made their money. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was one of like 12 revenue departments and that's what I'm competing against, right? The sexy stuff, the spa, right. you know, the sun, you know, if you're coming from, you know, anywhere north of, of uh, the Carolinas. Um, so, yeah, you're not thinking duty free, but we, we would get them excited about it because it was it was a real genuine discount. Like watch prices real quick. A watch price in San Diego is going to be the same in Boston. That's how they price yeah. protect. But they offer a legitimate discount duty free in the Caribbean and it's anywhere from 5 to 35% depending on the brand. So I'd sometimes have watch collectors come down and tell me I want these four watches. Can you make sure they have them in Grand Cayman because they're saving the, the duty plus they're saving the, the state tax. Wow. It was interesting. So this was like a, on the schedule every day is sales pitch, come get sold. I mean, it, it sounds like <laughs> you could work in the hotel industry and do it for timeshares. Um, you know what? That's, that's actually probably the, the closest parallel, to be fair. But it right. was a completely different experience. People wanted to shop, right? They wanted right. – what, what what's the one thing I buy in Cosmo, Mexico? Well, you have to get Mexican vanilla. And you want to make sure when you get the Mexican vanilla that it's the kind that's, first of all, stored inside, not outside. And you want to make sure it has no alcohol. And here's why that's the best. So, so okay. Watches to vanilla beans. Yep. And everything in between. <laughs> but you know how crazy? I would sell, and I, I'm just saying this as a, as a point of reference, I'd sell right. about half a million dollars a week by myself. In and so how would you – so somebody said, all right. You said you're running through how many products in 60 minutes? 12? No, like 60. <laughs> oh, 60, like a minute per. Okay. Yep. And almost like an auction, it sounds like. And so if somebody said, I wanted to buy something, did you have people out in the audience that would you know, sign the orders? Yeah. So what we would do is we would get them excited about it. And then we had all different kinds of systems to, to put them into the right store. Some of the stores were on board the ship. Some were in the port. Um, so we would drive ah. people with different promotions and different, you know, um, different uh, carrots to dangle to get them out uh, to go and, and explore the port and, and what was possible. You know, people love to shop. I mean, that's one thing. Yeah. I, I grew up in Canada, right? Like it oh. was, we, we were more, much more conservative about shopping. And then I got to America, and I was like, <laughs> ah, we love to shop. What can I buy? What do you have for me, Nick? Well, and so I just, you know, thinking like a salesperson, how'd you get attribution for the things that, that you actually sold? So this is interesting. We would get yeah. credit for everything that came off the ship. And because it was duty-free, the retailer had to log the ship or right. the plane like you're leaving off of. So we got credit for everything that came off the ship, even if we didn't touch them. But we worked it out that we we were probably in contact or had influence of about 85% of what was being sold. But still got credit for the other 15, which I'll take. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like a good deal. Yeah, Absolutely. And so you're making this the 60-minute thing yep. every day, multiple times a day? I would do about uh, four or five presentations throughout the week, and right. then it was just visual, visible around the ship. You know, and I was a right. you know, big guy in a suit, big, you know, loud radio voice, so people kind of knew who I was. And if you've ever cruised, you know, often the person that had this job was as well-known as the cruise director. So you'd have the cruise director, the captain, and then the shopping guide, we were called, or depend on the cruise line – those were the three most recognizable faces on a cruise ship. Okay. Let's get down to the basics here. Okay. Which which ships were you on? Who, what lines were you working for? Disney, Royal Caribbean, Celebrity Hall in America, Norwegian, MSC, Carnival. Wait, you, so you, you were employed by them? So when I first started, I was employed by Celebrity. I came up in, in the business on Celebrity Cruise Lines, but then I started working for a third-party contractor, which had Got the it. contracts 
for the cruise lines to come on as the as the promoter of right. the, of the merchandise. Right, and that makes sense. And so you lived on board. Dead. Did you have an apartment, or you just had a stateroom, just like our bales? I mean, were you eating buffet food 365 days a year? <laughs> so that's an interesting question. I actually had, because I was so guest-facing and had to be everywhere, I had what they considered guest privilege. So I had, I still had a small cabin. It wasn't a stateroom. It was a cabin, but I usually had a porthole, which was kind of one of the perks. It was an officer cabin, they called it. And I had run of the ship. I could go pretty much anywhere I wanted. So I was eating a lot of buffet food. Um, it was interesting. It was, I, you know, I'd always, every contract I'd go for six months, I'd come off, you know, 20 pounds heavier than I'd lose it on vacation. <laughs> yeah, it, became, sure. it became a cycle. Um, but it was amazing. I mean, you know, occasionally I, I put videos on LinkedIn and I usually talk about business and, and, you know, demo tips and presentation tips yeah. but every now and again, I'll, I'll tell a cruise ship story. And I, I did that actually yesterday. And I was just talking about how, well, here's a story about smuggling, right? And I joke, but I could be a Netflix original series just sitting on a couch telling you cruise ship stories that would blow your mind. Well, I'm sure. I mean, I mean, I, so my daughter is, is you know, hooked on this show Below Decks or whatever. Yep. Below Decks, which is about private yachting, right? Yep. Uh, and I, so I was just thinking, okay, if you get that, if you can get a series off a private yacht, imagine on a cruise ship. It's huge. So you'd have, I'll, I'll paint a picture, 4,000 yeah, well, Tell us one of the stories. 4,000 guests, 1,200 crew. Every ship has a morgue in a prison. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, th and this is the one I actually did in the video yesterday. But um, uh, I was in, we were in Miami, and I saw the three heads of security kind of suiting up in scuba gear on embarkation day. And I thought, that's, that's weird. Um, I didn't think much of it. We went around about our business. But at the end of the day, I said, Jack, I saw you guys. Like, what was going on? Were you just going for a little? He goes, no. What happened was we were doing our rounds on the top deck. And we saw bubbles by the top of the ship, or by in the water by the bottom of right. the ship, by the hull. So they went and investigated, and someone had welded a hatch onto the ship, was loading it with scuba divers and whatever they were loading. Let's call it potpourri uh, in you know in the Caribbean somewhere. And then they docked in Miami, and the scuba gear team would come and unload this muled uh, product that the ship didn't know that they were carrying into port. Holy cow! That that's a light one, Andy. <laughs> that's that's no. Well, give me give me a give me a not light one. Oh my god. Well, I oh man. I I mean, what do you want? You want murder? Do you want do you want smuggling? Do you want? Oh I sure. Mean, take a take a selection. I mean, we, this is interesting stuff. How often, as part of your sales career? I mean, I've had you. Know, I've started this uh, series. I've been writing. I haven't published them yet. But about things that can't happen on a Zoom call. Right. About sales career. Right. Like, you know, early in my career, you know, I left a, a customer's office, uh, and I was sales manager, new, newly minted, but with my salesperson. And we were in the East Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. And we're getting ready to get into the car outside the customer's office in sort of this warehouse district. And a shot rang out and hit the car that we're getting into. <laughs> and I was like... That's crazy. I was like, I didn't... My first reaction was, seriously, was... Huh, didn't think the call went that badly. But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's yours fits in that category. Things that won't happen on a Zoom call. That's super interesting. Um, okay, cruise ship story that's appropriate. Well, here's here's an interesting one. I wasn't on this ship, but this was all over the news about four years ago. Uh a, a guest on a Royal Caribbean ship. Well, I, well let me give you a little a little background. 
to save fuel or to be the most fuel efficient as possible, these, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of tons of ships are on the same route to the millimeter. So if I'm going from Grand Cayman to Cozumel, you do not divert off that course because it's the most fuel efficient. Right. So uh, this story was in the news a couple of years ago. A guy uh, had a few too many drinks and got into one of the lifeboats, got off on the wrong side, fell into the ocean, <laughs> was bobbing in the ocean for seven hours, and the Disney fantasy came up on that same within a millimeter route of the Royal Caribbean ship and by fluke – one of the officers on deck with the with the goggles happened to see this guy bobbing up and down, and they saved him. He doggy paddled for seven hours, and they saved him because of the fuel. They run the most fuel efficient route possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine that not unusual on cruise ships. You know, at least based on what you read in the news, is people going over the side. <laughs> Newlyweds, newlyweds is a famous one, right? Yeah, there's newlyweds. Well, that's interesting too. Is just like all the you know it was so international the crew, and you would just see all these people who were you know from from this one country, and and now you had all these people coupling off and getting married, and all my friends from Canada that also worked on ships came home with like you know Swedish partners or South African partners, and it was just watching this international kind of you know sure. mosaic. It was it was really it was fascinating. You know, yeah, growing up in Canada it was so multicultural, but then living it every day and having like literally 150 different cultures and countries represented out of 1200 crew. It was just, it was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure if you're young and single, lots of interesting stories. Yeah, so, it, was, it was a good time. It was, I, I'm trying to keep it PG 13 for you. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, that's, that sounds fascinating. So we'll just, so were you ever on one of those, the super big cruise ships? Oh yeah, that's where like, I was. Yeah, yeah. The bigger yeah. the ship, so yeah. I was. You know, it was it was sales, right? So I was. If if I was one of the top producers, I was on the biggest ship, and I was in the Caribbean. So the Caribbean in the winter and Alaska in the summer were the the key places to be if you were wow. on sales. People think, oh, Nick, you traveled the world all these years. And no, <laughs> well, you were inside. <laughs> you were inside. <laughs> I was in the Caribbean and I was in Alaska, but it, yeah. but it's amazing, you know. I mean. Uh, it was such a, such a great experience and it was really cool. And what was interesting was what I realized as I kind of got into the B2B space was how B2C I was because what's more B2C than this? Um, and then I, yeah. kinda, I kind of fluked into, into technology and, and, you know, sitting in on demos and, and watching people pivot right to the agenda. And I'm like, where's the, where are you from? Where are you visiting us from? Well, I, we're going to, we're going to get into that because I, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have 10 years doing it. I had months selling women's shoes when I was in high school, Interesting, but yeah, it taught me a lot about this, the value of being able to connect with someone. Right. Right. Um, which is something certainly you're talking about, and you certainly you had to in that that domain when you're on board. But it's it's something also you've you've talked about in your videos that you're posting online, uh, which I good videos people should should watch because I I think that that you know there's there's so many people, and this is people who listen to the show. This is one of my rants, right? Is is it's like they're trying to legislate this human connection out of business uh, and out of existence. And the fact is you can't get around it. Right. And you certainly would live that in your years and your cruise ship selling. That's, you know, that's one of the value I think if you're doing B2C selling actually is that you actually have to do that in a very compressed period of time. And it's a great lesson for B2B sellers who tend to think that, 
yeah, the small talk, the the other things just aren't important when they are vitally important. No, you're 100% right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things I always do now is I will always spend two or three minutes going through someone's LinkedIn profile. I'm just looking for these little Easter eggs, these little nuggets of gold that you're not expecting, right? Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that oftentimes I won't use it. But when I do, when there's dead air or when there's Mm -hmm. a mutual connection that you don't think is a mutual connection, I'll never forget, uh, I took on a client and they were in, uh, in the financial space and we were waiting for a demo to start and there was eight people on their side and six on ours. So you had uh-huh. 14 people in the room and there was six minutes of dead air. And, you know, as a radio guy, to me, that's, there's no bigger <laughs> sin, but it was just an opportunity missed to just have a dialogue going, setting the tone, setting uh-huh. the energy, being positive, you know. Oh, hey, you know, Jane, look, it looks like it's raining where, where you're at. You know, where, where are you? Oh, you're in Florida? Oh, man, let me tell you, Florida, three times a day it rains. Holy cow, how do you put up with that? Just It seems small, but it's that, you know, people buy from people they like. And yeah. I think the other opportunity missed is people like people who like them. But well, who- absolutely. And this is uh, Robert Cialdini talked about it in his book, Persuasion, that research has shown that, that – People buy more likely to buy from people who they believe like them. Yes. So go ahead. Interesting. I didn't know that, but now I'm buying that book. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But so you know, the idea behind that is, if I've taken a few minutes to kind of get to know you, um, even by perusing your LinkedIn profile, the assumption I'm relational. For me, it's a very natural thing. I thrived on cruise ships because it was easy for me because it's, uh-huh. it's how I'm wired. Um, so you know, it's easy for me to kind of port that over to what I do now. Um, but when, when you find something and they're like, wait a minute, how did you know I was I was a certified minor league hockey coach? I'm like, well, it was in your LinkedIn profile, you know? Um, and I've had conversations that started about hockey, you know, on a first sure. call and 25 minutes later, it's all we've talked about is hockey. And they're like, what's next steps, right? Yeah. So it's so interesting because I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, as I said, there you increasingly you see, you'll see on LinkedIn someone post, well, yeah, last week it was customers don't want relationships in sales. So it's like, because yeah, if they use the word relationship, they think they're talking about a friendship, right? Right. And they have a hard time separating the two. And you're not, you don't need to be friends. You just, you know, be pleasant, right? Sure. I mean, you make that connection. You show an interest in somebody. Ask a question about them, something they're interested in. In your case, you spent 25 minutes doing it. I've had those in my career, too. Led to good things. Some didn't, but yeah, you sort of read the room, right? If the customer is exactly. ready to move, you don't do 25 minutes, you do two minutes. Uh, it's like folks think there's this all or nothing thing. And it's like, no, use your judgment, use your intuition, use your gut to tell you what should I be doing in this instance in order to form a connection with this other human. 100%. And, and I think, you know, the way I've laid it out for, for people, the, I, I'm trying to get a champion on their side. If I'm selling widgets and I'm one of 10 companies selling widgets and they're all kind of the same, if I can, you know, really build a relationship quickly with someone on that end who's looking at all the widget manufacturers, mm-hmm. maybe I can get into the top three or top four just after that first conversation because yep. everything's so similar. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Well, I I tried to be the top one, right? I tried to say, look, my – my goal of this initial interaction is I want to eliminate your desire to go talk to anybody else or eliminate your need, your feel, felt need to go talk to anyone else. I, I 
I called that, I want to take that prospect off the street. Didn't mean I got the order, but I wanted to show enough in that first call and make that connection, make them want to you know, be interested in what I'm doing that, yeah, it took away some other incentive to talk to other people. Yeah. So at least I'm in the top three, as you said, and maybe I'm number one. But I think people don't think that, right? They're thinking, let me, let me just make sure I say everything. And, and there's also, you know, as a radio guy, the overload of sure. speak that people have because they're so afraid to miss the key phrase or the right, right. word. Um, whereas, you know, again, when I had to pitch 60 products in 60 minutes, I had to get efficient real fast. Right. Um, I'm glad I I didn't have to do that. (laughs) Well, you know, I I lived on thesaurus.com because I'm like, first of all, you keep talking about it in your videos. Yeah. Obviously you, you like it. Yeah. I I mean, well, but it's great because, you know, what's interesting is that so many of these products were similar again, all the widgets are similar, right? So if everything's amazing and fantastic and all those same words, they don't resonate, they fall flat. Right. So how can you right. find a better word or a better way to explain it? Um, and I, I think it's just interesting. I, pe- people just don't assess what they do um, in mm-hmm. my experience. And, and I think another huge opportunity that's missed, which is something that I preach, anyone who's ever worked under me knows this, um, is you need to watch your tape. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm dating myself by saying tape. But this is what we did on a cruise ship. People would it's, get it's off. A generic, it's a generic thing. Okay, perfect. <laughs> They'd get off in Puerto Rico 20 years ago, and they'd have to FedEx me the presentation they did. And I'd be waiting in Miami, and I'd watch the presentation and break it down. But the ones I realized early on who got traction were the ones who would watch their own tape before there was a week turnaround for me to actually critique it. Um, Which you can do these days, yeah, if you're using a tool like RingDNA's conversational AI, you're recording your calls and exactly AI is analyzing and help you like you could signal a coach that you need coaching uh, yeah you have this ability to listen to what you're doing and have someone coach you on it in real time 100% but I think too you know especially using something like that with ring DNA but the point is is that people don't do it themselves they're afraid to watch themselves or listen to themselves and if you just do it three four or five times in a row mm-hmm. get over that fear and you start to see your crutch words. You start to yep. see your negative words. You start to see these things that can be, you know, kind of easily corrected. You just have to have the thought to do it. Absolutely. Well, so a couple of things I got from watching your videos as I was prepping for this. One is, yeah, you know, we do live in an age where video obviously is more ever present than it was, but less in an interactive video sense and a video messaging sense, right? In the sense that you were messaging with your videos, that could just as easily have been a you know, video email you were sending someone, right? Is you have to get comfortable on camera. You have to, do, and it's not just a matter of being comfortable. I, what, I, what you've done clearly, and, and I'm still working on this, is you have to develop this comfortable persona on camera. And I think this is, and this is not an act, it's just who you are, right? Be comfortable with who you are. Maybe it's the absence of discomfort is what you're really striving for. But, yeah, you're very authentic on it, on the video. Uh, Most people are still kind of stilted, right? And I think this is a key skill for sellers to develop is just this comfort on camera, uh, with who they are and having that communicate itself through the camera. You want uh, you want the trick on that? You want me to give you the hack, the life hack? Sure, that? sure. That's what we're here for. Light yourself. 
the key thing to becoming comfortable on camera that everyone misses is they don't light themselves correctly. And if you see my videos, they, they all have the consistent look. And all uh-huh. I have is two $35 softbox lights, and I have a $38 webcam. But the webcam makes me look way better than I look. <laughs> and the lighting makes me look way better than I look, frankly. But if you, if you feel subconsciously that you look good, you're going to present a lot better. It's amazing how that happens. It's not how you feel that's important. It's how you look. <laughs> Billy Crystal, routine, yes. And darling, you look marvelous, yes. But, it, but it's, I, really, I really believe that, you know. And again, yeah. I was coaching all these live stage presenters, mm-hmm. right? And, it was, and I, it's what I learned just from, oh, it's poorly lit. I can hardly see the person or, you know. And even the, the colors that we would critique, the colors they would wear on stage, they don't work with, and not from a fashion point of view, from a, you know, you're, you're an ant on a screen and I'm sitting, you know, 30, 40 rows right. behind you. How do, I, how do I focus on you? How do I pay attention? You know, your movement. And I think once you do, you know, elevate your, your look a little bit, which is so easy. I mean, it's like $150 worth of equipment. It's just the right equipment. And if you don't have a light, just go in front of natural lighting. Go shoot a video in front of a window on a sunny day. Uh-huh. And look, how, look at how different you will perceive yourself as looking based on that good lighting. Well, to your point, it's inexpensive, right? Yep. I mean, I, I, don't, I used to have box lights. I've got you know, digital lights here. But um, yeah, maybe 100 bucks worth. <laughs> and there you are. But the, uh, it works. It works. And then practice, right? Just practice. I mean, just send, if you want to get comfortable on video, there's nothing that beats practice. And then, to your point, watching yourself. Watching yourself. And also, uh, I was just actually doing a video training series for a company. And one of the things that I was really focused on in there is that um, just press send. Just press send. Oh, that's the other thing, right. Because right. I agree. You'll, you'll do it 10 times, 15 times, and then you're getting lost in, in things you shouldn't get lost in. But just yep. shoot the 10-second, 15-second, 30-second video and click send and just yep. patch yourself from it. And it's very, it's very freeing when you do that. Um, yeah. And it just gets and into the rhythm. Watch it later. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I had to get in that habit of, of just – yeah. Because I could – yeah, my wife gives me a hard time because it's painful for her to watch me write an email when we're sitting on the couch next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, just hit send, <laughs> just hit send. It's like, okay, I guess I can stop wordsmithing it. But it's the same thing with video, right? The temptation is to, yeah, let me see that. Oh, God, I just that could be a little bit better this time. It's like, no, just hit send. And, and people expect you to be human, right? And then when you're human, they're like, well, now I'm dealing with a human. Yeah. Like, so, so I'll tell you this one. You know, I've used video in a lot of different places in the sales cycle. But what in it, what I never did until about three weeks ago, and I'll give credit to Zoe Hartfield who is now with Dooley. She did Mm -hmm. a video on this and it was a quick 15 second video to hold a meeting, right? Hey Andy, I'm super excited to talk to you tomorrow at two o'clock Pacific. If you have any questions in advance, just go ahead and put them in this email. I'll make sure I cover them in the demo. Mm -hmm. In three weeks of doing that here, we went from a 48% hold rate on meetings to small sample size, but we're almost at 80%. Yield is everything, right? Right. I mean, not enough sales organizations measure yield on like demos and other meetings set. It's a vital statistic. Yeah, I had a client that was in the solar business, residential solar, and that was everything, right? Because we get a lot of people that sign up for 
in a home meeting with a, a you know a sales rep. Yeah. Yeah, the yield rate oftentimes is really low. And it's just simple follow-up like you talked about. Yeah, I'm gonna send a video email previous day. Yeah, if you have any questions, drop them here in this email and you respond and I'll make sure I cover them in the meeting. Exactly. Increase yield substantially. If I'm doing 10 or 15 demos a week, it takes me two and a half minutes to do a week's worth of 15 second videos for that. And and what's interesting is the ones who watch it, because I'll, I'll track it with sure, you track, right? right? Um, yeah. And the ones who watch, they show up. Hmm? They show up. And I, I know if someone's going to no-show me because they never click the video. Yep. So. I find a video in general, when I send video emails, so I got a much higher open rate and response rate. Yeah, absolutely. And but yeah. I, and this is so simple, and I know you know this, but a, a lot of people don't realize, put personal video in brackets in the subject line, something to make them understand that it's authentic and genuine. Um, when I connect with someone new on LinkedIn, I'll send you know a video that'll populate with a thumbnail, and I, I'm always really careful to word it and say, um, this isn't generic. This is a true hello from me to you so that they know yeah. it's, it's for Andy, right? Well, and I think there's things you can do. Like uh, Ethan Butte from BombBomb always talks about you, know, you have a little personal whiteboard and you write the person's name on it and hold it up. So yeah. in the thumbnail, that says, you know, hey, Nick. Right. Well, you know what? The, here's the problem with that, though. Now, what's happened is that people have figured out a digital way to change that name. So, <laughs> so, but but there's still something to that that five, six, seven, eight words. You know, true hello. That the genuineness of it, right? It, it just it elevates it, and and the click through rate is just so much higher. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's take something off the video messaging for a second. But you had brought this up earlier about you know, best opening line to build rapport, right? Or yep. What's the best question you can ask? And I was, when I was watching your video on that, I was sort of smiling because it's the same, same line that I use, the same question I use. And so, and actually there was a study that someone pointed out to me about two years ago, I'd have to dig it up, that found that actually this is the best opening question to ask somebody based on a, a study they had done. So tell us about that, what you use. So what I would do on embarkation day, so that's when everyone's leaving the ship and all the new guests are coming on, that was as close as kind of my department would have to a day off. Or I couldn't be in my cabin all day, in my little tiny, you know, mm -hmm. not stateroom cabin. Yeah. So I'd just hang out on the gangway, and I would just ask everyone as they were coming up the gangway, welcome aboard, where are you visiting from? Mm -hmm. And for me it was interesting because, you know, in Canada – I guess what I realized when, when I was dealing with Americans every single day and watching people coming up, like a whole family, all wearing like Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin sweatshirts. Easy now. I'm from Madison. But go okay. ahead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to give you the heads up in case you were going there. But go yeah, Badgers. Go, go Badgers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I wasn't used to that. Like if you went to a hockey game, you know, I'd see, okay, everyone wearing a Montreal Canadiens jersey. But from – you just it's not something you saw every day. So I was like – I'm 20 years old, 22 years old. I'm like, this is so fascinating, right? I, everything I learned about U.S. geography came from, you know, SEC football. Sweatshirts. Yeah. Right? And, and what I realized very quickly was that, um, and I'm painting with a broad brush, but a lot of guests that I dealt with who were from the U.S., after themselves and their friends and family, what they loved to talk about was where they were from. And there's, you know, every country has tribalism, but I especially see it in the sports and, and the colleges, you know, right. golden go forget the golden gophers, right, Andy? I mean, they're terrible. Minnesota. No, oh no, no, thank you. Go Badgers. Yes. Um, 
and pe- and when and people just I couldn't get them to stop. All they wanted to do then was start to talk. And what I did was I built up a database. I'm a big food guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, someone would come up and say, Hey, I'm from New Mexico. I'm like, how does the rest of the country not know about hatch green chilies? And they were like or green chili cheeseburgers. Uh, right. <laughs> but if you're from New Mexico and someone says that to you, you're like, who are you? Who's this guy? Yeah. I, you're yeah. my new friend. You're my new beacon. You're my new North Star. I don't know anyone else on this ship, but I like you because you like me. Yeah. Right. Dave's and, the same um, thing. So, yeah. So what I would teach people, you know, a lot of people that worked for, for me were from Belgrade and from India. And I would say, find something you like to talk about and then just ask. Mm-hmm. And the guy from India said to me, like, what am I going to say to someone? I'm like, what's the one thing I got to eat? So literally we, we had that conversation an hour later. He comes running up to me all excited. He's like, Nick, I met a couple. They were from Mississippi. I said, what's the one thing I got to eat there? I'm a big food guy. They said, you have to have catfish and hush puppies. He said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> he said, now I had a conversation and now I had new friends. And, and right. whether they bought or not, I don't remember at that time. But the point was, was that I told him, I said, now Brisbane, build your own database. Now you know that about Mississippi. There's only 50 states, right? And right. I tell people all the time, you're selling it to 20, 25 major U.S. cities. What do you know about Denver? What do you know mm-hmm. about Boston? Google Boston and news, you know, before you get on a – oh, wow, you guys had a big snowstorm yesterday. Did the, did the kids miss school? Right? Oh, gosh. Okay. It's like we're twins from a different mother or something. I mean, well, this I'm is, not this as handsome, Andy, but I'm with you. I don't know about that. Um you got the voice, though. So, <laughs> but that's exactly right. Is you know, people always sort of talk down the weather question, right? Right. And it's like, actually, the reason the weather is such a great question is because we've all shared a common experience around it. And the same yeah. thing is like, if you talk to somebody in Boston, they're having a snow day. What you say is, yeah, not hey, how the weather's out there. Oh, snow day. I mean, I remember when I was a kid. What what was your favorite thing to do as a snow day when you were a kid? Right. That's a weather question. They're gonna, you're going to be into a conversation and have a bond with this person that, or the possibility of a bond that that's, you, know, you wouldn't have had otherwise. So if you put it in their terms, right, just as you did, I think the weather is a great thing to ask. I love the weather question. It's, I look ahead of time, right? I use the resources that are available, weather.com or whatever, and I'll find out what's going on with them. 100%, you know. And if it's, you know, there's all different, like even if I look at your LinkedIn profile, right, and I see you went to Stanford and it's football season, you know, I might take a shot on, on mm-hmm. you know, hey, are you going to watch the game on Saturday? You might have no interest in football, but if you do, right, we get 90 seconds, two minutes on, on that tangent, right, mm-hmm. changes the dynamic of the whole conversation. And if not, or, or I get stonewalled, no problem, let's pivot right to the agenda, right? Yeah. So, but I'll, I'll, at oh. least, I'll at least, you know dangle the the line in the water and see if anything's biting. I'm a huge soccer fan, and I follow soccer, European soccer a lot, North American soccer. But, yeah, I've made so many great connections in in Europe with people just looking at where they're from and, yeah, dangling that question. Oh, are you a supporter of Liverpool? Are you a supporter of, you know, I was today with a guy, back and forth, we probably spent 15 minutes messaging on LinkedIn about AC Milan. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, it's a great connection we've made. So, so well, I got to ask you first before you move on. Who's your club? Who do you support? Liverpool. Long time, long time Liverpool supporter. So it was nice to finally break the thirty-year schneid last year, winning the title. Although no fans were there, but still, 
Um, have you been to so, a yeah. game in the UK? Like, have you been to a game in, in Liverpool? I've been one, one game, one Premier League game okay. at uh, Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace. So, so, Anfield's still on the list, yes. So that's, I've done a lot of things. I have not been to a Premier League game. That is absolutely going to happen. But I used to go uh, when I was still in Toronto. Uh, Toronto FC first came out. Yeah, BMO Field, yeah. Yep, and what a crowd, and it was so entertaining, and the way the stadium was set up, having the skyline and these drums being, and see, Andy, that's what we just did. We just started talking about soccer for 90 seconds just off the the, the line in the water. Yeah, I could do it 90 minutes. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, I love the the where are you from question on a business-to-business basis because what it does is it sets up, and people think it's so basic, but it works so well, is – the answer could go one of two ways, right? Where are you from? Somebody could answer, well, I'm from Toronto. Or they could say, well, yeah, before this job, I worked at Accenture. Oh, suddenly you have this path, right? If somebody gives you that answer and you can't come up with an interesting follow-up question about Toronto or, you know, somebody worked at Accenture, oh, they, got, they work on such interesting things there. What project were you working on, right? It, it's just this bifurcated opportunity to engage somebody, and it's, it is so effective, and people want to dismiss these as, as a waste of time. You do it at your peril. Well, you know what one of my favorites is? is actually going through mutual connections. I looked at yours and I, and there's you know, 300 or 400. But, yeah. but a lot of times we assume it's industry people, and if I, have, if I have five minutes instead of two or three, I'll mm-hmm. dig into that. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Oh, my gosh. I, I absolutely know Dale. I worked with him at Infusionsoft for five years. He's amazing. Right. He's my brother-in-law. The dynamic, that's a true story that actually happened. The dynamic of that conversation, the first time I met that person who had worked with my right. brother-in-law, superimposed everything that was great about him mm-hmm. onto me. <laughs> and the, only thing, <laughs> the only connection is we're, both, we're married to two sisters, you know? Right. Um, so it's, it's just interesting when you, when you actually take the time. Well, and that's really the key. And this is the thing that, that's so aggravating to me personally is when people try to dismiss the importance of this, this human connection you make with somebody is that it's never been easier to do that, right? Yeah. It used to be. We had to visit their office and see what was on their desk and see what was on their walls. And as you know, someone told me the other day, he says, why, why do you think people have pictures of their families on their desks when they're in the office? Why? Conver- conversation starters. Interesting. They want to talk about their family. They want you to ask. Interesting. I mean, I had a, a situation I've written about this where, like, second year of my career in sales, I was trying to close this big business computer system selling to a chain of jewelry stores in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I, I knew the owner wanted to give, <laughs> give him the order, but he just wasn't. And we had formed this tight relationship. He was sort of mentoring me. But every time I thought we're going to close, it just sort of got put off. And, you know, finally, you know, my boss threatened to pull it out of the forecast, right? Because this is just not going to happen. He says, better yet, I'm going to come with you in the next call. And I thought, the hell you are. I'm going to get this done. (laughs) And so I go out and visit this guy, a gentleman who owned this chain of jewelry stores. And he brought me into his office again. And and we're sitting there sort of looking at each other. And I'm looking at his desk. He's got... Pictures of his grandkids in their soccer uniforms. And it just dawned on me at that point is, you know, I had made that connection, done it early on, but then I'd gotten so focused on winning the deal that I'd stopped asking. 
about what was going on with him and what was going on with his family. And so I, yeah, hit on the head with the two by four. I, I said, well, yeah, wow, your grandkids they look like they're real good soccer players. Where do they play? You know, what positions and so on? We had you know, soccer, obviously. But it was, yeah, it was a 20 minute conversation about that. Yeah, he signed the order that day. He was just waiting for me to go back to being a human again. That's interesting. Right? And he was teaching me. That's why I tell people, I learned how to sell from my customers. And this is one of my customers that taught me how to sell, is that you just can never lose sight of what it is that, that makes people want to make a decision to buy from you personally, not your company, you personally. Well, you're so right. And I can't tell you how many times I've showed up unannounced and, hey, I just dropped off a box of donuts. Or, you know, if, I, if I'm in town, uh, where's the best cannolis in, in uh, Chicago? Mm-hmm. Let me go grab a couple boxes. Hey, just dropping this off. You know, my card's on top of your one chat. See you later. Have right. a great day. Yep. Works for a while. Works very well. All right, Nick. Fortunately, we got to jump off. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we start covered a lot of ground. And now I'm, <laughs> I want to learn more. When we have another conversation, you and I want to learn more about the cruise ship stories <laughs> or write a book about them. That'd yeah. be an interesting sales book. Be a very interesting sales book. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll collaborate, you know, Andy, because right. Andy, you'll never walk alone. <laughs> That's right. Don't make me sing it. All right. So, Nick, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do it? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my favorite medium. Right. And you've got, as I said, some good, sorry, your side hustle, videos from your side hustle uh, there. And you tell us about your side hustle. Well, you know what? I, I just help people with video, but frankly, it, it wasn't a side hustle. It was what I was doing. I was coaching yeah. teams on how to use video, but it was the SaaS community that kind of adopted me. I knew not, I didn't know what a BDR was six months ago, okay? <laughs> um, and now I'm, it, you guys made it too exciting. So now I have a tech sales job because it's too exciting. So, But salespitching.com is, is kind of where that, that lives if you do want to go take a peek. I recommend you go do it. All right, Nick, thank you so much. Pleasure. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank Nick Capozzi for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.